Chapter 21 of The Conquest. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. The Conquest by Oscar Michaud. Chapter 21 The Boom. This valuable tract of land, comprising about 50,000 acres, had been entered after the opening by settlers and lay about as near to Kirk as it did to Megory. Hence its trade was sought by both towns, but with Kirk getting the larger part until Megory established a mill which paid two cents more for wheat and the farmers took advantage by hauling most of their produce to the former town. This included another strip of rich territory to the north of Megory and west of Landing Creek, where the soil is a rich gumbo, and the township thickly settled, so it is readily seen that Megory was advantageously situated to draw from all directions. This soon brought such a volume of business into the town as to make the most fastidious envy it, and the Megoryites were well aware of their enviable position. The town continued to grow in a sound, substantial way. Nicholson Brothers began leading booster trade excursions to the north, south, and east, with Ernest at the head in a big packard, making clever speeches and inviting all the farmers to come to Callis, where a meal at the best hotel was given free. A good, live, and effective commercial club was organized, which guaranteed to pay all a hog, cow, or calf would bring on the Omaha market, minus the freight and expenses. Ernest would explain with deep sincerity, which impressed the farmers of the valley, as well as the settlers on the Little Crow, that Callis wanted a share of their business, and was willing to sacrifice profit for two years in order to have the farmers come to the town and get acquainted to see what the merchants, bankers, and real estate dealers had to offer. In making this offer, the people of Callis had the advantage over Megory, and that it derived profits from other sources, chiefly from great numbers of transients who were beginning to fill the hotels, restaurants, saloons, and boarding houses of the town. Being the end of the road and the place where practically every settler coming to Tip County must stay at least one night, it stood to reason they could make such an inducement and stick to it. However, this was countered immediately by Megoryites, who promptly organized a commercial club and began the same kind of bid for trade. Thus the small ranchmen of the valley found themselves an object of much importance and began to awaken a little. Now the land of the reservation had taken on a boom such as had never been realized or dreamed of. Land in the states of Iowa, Minnesota, Illinois, and Nebraska had doubled in valuation in the previous ten years and was still on the increase in value. 
Crops had been good and money was plentiful. With a number of years of unbroken prosperity, the farmers had paid off mortgages and had a good surplus in the bank. Their sons and daughters were looking for newer fields. Retired farmers with their land to rent now, instead of the customary one-third delivered, demanded and received from two-fifths to one-half, or cash, from three to five and six dollars per acre. And with the prices in these states ranging from ninety to one hundred and fifty dollars per acre, which meant from fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars to buy a quarter section, which the renters felt was too high to ever be paid for by farming it. Therefore, western lands held an attraction, where, with a few thousand dollars, some stock, and machinery, a man could establish a good home. As this land in southern South Dakota is in the Corn Belt, the erstwhile investor and home seeker found a haven. There is always more or less gossip as regards insufficient moisture in a new country. The only thing to kill this bogey is to have plenty of rain, and plenty of rain had fallen on the little crow, too much at times. Large crops of everything had been harvested, but if the first three years had been wet, this fourth was one of almost continual rainfall. In the eastern states, the corn crop had been badly drowned out on the lowlands, and rust had cut the yield of small grain considerably, while on the rolling land of the little crow, the season was just right, and everything grew so rank, thick, and green that it gave the country, a raw prairie until less than four years before, the appearance of an old settled country. It looked good to the buyers, and they bought. Farms were sold as soon as they were listed. The price at the beginning of the year had been from twenty-five to forty dollars per acre, some places more. But after the first six months of the year, it began to climb to forty-five and then to fifty dollars per acre. Those who owned Little Crow Farms became objects of much importance. If they desired to sell, they had only to let it be known, and a buyer was soon on hand. The atmosphere seemed charged with drunken enthusiasm. Everybody had it. There was nothing to fear. Little Crow land was the best property to be had, better, they would declare, than government bonds, for its value was increasing in leaps and bounds. Choice farms close to town, if bought at $50 per acre, could be sold at a good profit in a short time. This was done, and good old eastern capital continued to be paid for the land. The spirit of unrest that seemed to pervade the atmosphere of the community was not altogether the desire to have and to hold, but more to buy and to sell. Homesteads were sold in Megory County, and the proceeds were immediately reinvested in tip, where considerable dead Indian land could be purchased at half the price. At about that time, the auto fever began to infect the restless and over-prosperous settlers and businessmen alike. That was the day of the many two-cylinder cars. 
They made a dreadful noise, but they moved and moved faster than horses. They sailed over the country, the exhaust of the engine making a cracking noise. The motion, added to the speed, seemed to thrill and enthuse the investor until he bought whether he cared to or not. In previous years, when capital was not so plentiful, and when land was much cheaper and slower to sell, the agent drove the buyer over the land from corner to corner, crosswise and angling, and the buyer would get out here and there, and with a spade dig into the ground, and be convinced as to the quality of the soil. He then pondered the matter over for days, weeks, and sometimes months. Then maybe he would go back and bring the woman. The land dealers seriously object to buyers bringing the woman along, especially if the farm he has to sell has any serious drawbacks, such, for instance, as a lack of water. There were numerous farms on the highlands of the Little Crow where water could not be found, but they were invariably perfect in every other respect. The perfection in the laying of the land and quality of the soil was severely offset by the inability to get water. While on the rougher and less desirable farms, water can be easily obtained in the draws and the hills. But the highlands were the more attractive and were sold at higher prices and much quicker, regardless of the obvious defects. Now, if the woman was brought to look it over, one of the first inquiries she made would be, now is there plenty of water? Furthermore, she was liable to steal a march on the dealer by having her husband hire a livery team, and with the eastern farmer and his wife drive out to the place and look the farm over without the agent to steer them clear of the bad places. They not only looked it over, but made inquiries of the neighbors as to its merits. Now country people have the unpardonable habit of gossip, and have complicated many deals of the real estate men by this weakness, even caused many to fall through, until the land sharks are usually careful to prevent a buyer from having a conversation with Sigh. In my case, however, this was quite different. I was known as a booster, and since my land was located between the Monca and Magori, this was considered the cream of the county as to location, soil, and other advantages. Instead of being nervous over meeting me, the dealers would drive into the yard or into the fields and, as I like to talk, introduce the prospective buyers to me, and we would engage in a long conversation at times. I might add that exaggerated tales were current, which related how I had run as P.N. Porter, saved my money, come to the Little Crow, bought a half section, and was getting rich. The most of the buyers from Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska were unused to seeing colored farmers and my presence all alone on the former reserve added to their interest. 
In my favor was the fact that my service in the employ of the P.N. Company had taken me through nearly every county in the central states, and therefore, always given to observation, I could talk with them concerning the counties they had come from. Land prices continued to soar. Higher and higher they went, and to boost them still higher, as well as to substantiate the values, the bogey concerning insufficient moisture was drowned in the excessive rainfall. From April until August it poured, and the effect on the growing crops in the east became greater still in the way of drowned-out cornfields and overrank stems of small grain that grew to abnormal heights and with the least winds lodged and then fell to the ground. The crops on the reservation could not have been better, and prices were high. End of chapter 21